Okay. I try to get at least a minute ahead. So, the last minute of this year, we were giving the, not the last NAF came in by far, but before we move over to the other brokers and some of the other industries, and then the Rambam, Lahavdo. It's not Lahavdo, we're going to integrate it, but the Rambam was a doctor. That's a different issue of uh, conflicting motives. You know, they try to usher up and down. It has different phases of pharmaceutical companies visiting doctors and going out to lunch. You ever heard of such a thing? So it's the same, same so good. Doctors are supposed to be, and they take an oath for this, not just uh, being natural fiduciaries. They're more, and they are supposed to be giving the patient the best thing for the patient, <coughs> which I didn't really plan discussing doctors yet, but that's a good example. If you're giving one drug because they sort of have an arrangement with you, which is illegal now, and the patient would have been better off with another drug, then besides the dangers, you have a um, lift-naver issue, and the fact you want to make more money on the side is not a heter. And I'm going to use that to contrast with the broker and then the real estate broker right now. It's... Um, and they have placebo things. They have to legally let them know in triplicate, I assume, that you're part of the experiment and there's a 50% chance you get the placebo, but they can't give a placebo to people without their trust. <coughs> that would be cruel and inhuman. Is that correct? I hope so. Why? If it doesn't work, if yeah. they know it's a placebo. Right. It doesn't work? If they know it's a placebo. No, no, I, no, I realize that, but they have to sign up for the program. No, so in a, in a test. So yeah, in a they, test. You can't uh, have a... Yeah, they, a patient is a guinea pig. They know they explain how the whole trial works to people. I think. Okay, that's what I assumed. But you can't give placebo to a patient, a regular patient. That's what I'm affirming. I'm trying to so ascertain. They don't give a placebo to a child. A child, okay. They have a midvar not uh, If you say here, take this and make you feel better, and you gave them a winky, and they think it's a Tylenol, and they feel better, that's not midvar shekatirchak. You didn't tell them it's a Tylenol. You said it'll make you feel better. They make them feel better. And enough means you have to tell them to make a shackle. <laughs> but that's the, which is true by some things that are dressed up in medicines. But that's not, uh, you know, if that works, that's fine. Okay, so last thing we mentioned was the fee structure, the fee versus the um, um, set fee versus fee based. And based means it's based on this, based on that, based on the other thing. And you can be giving them a decent return. You just have to let them know that you have other considerations that drive your decision for them, and therefore you are by definition not a fiduciary. They're mutually exclusive. The ones that are given the set things are fiduciaries. The ones that are not, unless they're letting them know, I really care the best for you, but I feel very sluggish and unmotivated this morning, and I need some incentive like more money. Can I charge you extra? (laughs) You can always spell that out. Most people don't like doing that. So those two fee structures fit into the respective categories. Let me contrast that with the following case. Move on to real estate brokers. Very honorable way to make a living. You can actually do chesed all day and also make a living, which you should have in mind when you do almost anything. You're building uh, systems. Um, previous Gilgal, you were making sidurim, you were making sfarm, your mamash, a machabas farm, no? Something like that? Did I get that right? So... <laughs> You have mind you're doing it with shame. It's when you have to make money. So you're helping people 
manage their finance and you're helping people get to their retirement and uh, you're helping people find good apartments or keep the good apartments. You know, everybody according to their... Uh, so have in mind, the Chavetz Chaim was very big on this, have in mind the Shem Mitzvah of Chesed, Kiddush Hashem, both, and you make money on the side, so that's a panasa. One has not to do with the other. They only have what to do with each other when you start overemphasizing the panasa part and misleading, and misleading does not mean lying and causing them to lose money. Misleading over here, as we've been working on for a few nights, is when you don't give them the best advice, if that's what you're supposed to be doing, unless you told them up front that my primary duty is to the company, and then to myself, and then to you, but don't worry, we're going to have you hopefully make money because you want to keep you as a client. If you spell that out, then you're not a fiduciary, but you could spell it out, and that's just uh, fine. I knew if I'd speak about the doctors at the beginning of the year, it would work you. So uh, you'll catch the original uh, comments from two minutes ago. Uh, we just said the doctors don't take any bribes from pharmaceutical companies because they want to give what's good for the patient. Is that correct? Would you agree? Thank you. I'm still waiting for a bribe. Uh, yes. <laughs> we won't include your name in that last interview. Uh, <laughs> nor your position, but you're waiting. Uh, you're waiting. You never even got the offer. You can use Yates and Tate to turn it down and get Schar. That's pretty good. Okay, there's such a Kaddish for Thank you very much. So, I guess the whole thing is so important. Right, exactly. Daven every morning. Right? The life is full in this yenis, and we try to... You're going to have some anyway, because that's part of breathing and... and uh, you know, growing, but yeah, we try to contain them. So, the real estate broker, I'll read to you the following clip. There's a lot on this, but the basic laws and expectations. So, I wanted to double check. I was pretty sure this would be the case, and it was the case. Uh, regular standard real estate broker is automatically a fiduciary. Anybody just tuned into the share for the first time and you're not familiar with that word? Chazo last night, so the night before. You're responsible, and the highest level of responsibility. That seems to be push it in the little that I read, but everybody starts off with that assumption. With that in mind, as your client's fiduciary agent, you must be loyal and keep their best interests ahead of those of any other party, including yourself. Again, Lahavdil, the Messiah Sasharim, and the other Rishonim as well, just we throw the Messiah Sasharim inside, and it's not Musar, it's the Din. Best interest, not good interest. Your potential commission, now here comes the eight Saharas, your potential commission, particularly in competing offer situations, should not be a consideration and would be disloyal to your client. And not only don't you want to be disloyal to your client, but it's usher as well and illegal if they can prove it when they sue. The offer of a bonus to buyer agents with an accepted purchase offer. Now, Gets tricked. It's that buyer's agent, seller's agents. So, if somebody's offering the seller, or the seller's agent is offering a bonus because they really want to get this sold, and they have their own incentives, they offer a bonus. So they say that that scenario, which is not illegal yet, is a particular note here. It certainly is. In no way should the buyer agent give preference to any property because of a bonus, which is what I started describing last night. They want to know, can they get a better deal in a house? Well, that's a very complicated question because I can't guarantee them there's no better deal out there. For what I have to show you, I think this is a great deal. question is, do you have anything else to show them and did you segregate in your mind that that's not available for showing and why would you do that and do you have a head to do that? 
I'm raising in this sugi, as you know, there's more questions that we can answer because I'm trying to part everybody to understand that the parameters here are a bit dangerous and you got to ask a shayla. And often it's mutter. I can't tell you, as I mentioned last night, Klai Yisrael Sadikim. Everybody out there listens very well, as do you all. You all ask the questions in person here. I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from almost every industry about these shaylas and people who are genuinely concerned. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. And that's wonderful. Because you realize that what you assume and what most people look at in business, uh, are you really looking out for their best interests? And even if that is the din, which it is, that doesn't mean you can't sell your oven for a higher premium as long as not or not. And it's not of its business what you're making. So <laughs> there's a lot in between those two cases. So here he warns that you shouldn't let your anticipated bonus get in the way. While it's perfectly acceptable to show the property to the buyer if you believe it's something which might suit them, suit them is not the best word here. I don't want to correct his writing. It should be, is the best thing for them. It's not suitability. It's uh, full achrayas. Ethics requires that you tell them about the bonus prior to writing a purchase offer for them. Which is the same thing as a broker saying somewhere, at the beginning of the end, the child is how many remember or understand what's going on, but that's a built-in problem. Uh, the broker telling them, or the financial advisor telling them, uh, we have these funds which are not no load, meaning they cost and their fees, associated fees, and I'm also getting a commission from them when I push this item and this and that. And you tell them all that and tell them, after all that, it's a great product, great price, just want the full disclosure. That's fine. If it's really true that you're not being jaded by it and they choose to believe you and you believe it's true before you say it. That's a tall order, not impossible. But a tall order. Yeah, so this is not um, the, the guy who wrote this. Uh, I think you guys could have done a better job. It's not the Rashka Bahagin writings because he started off tough as Lost Remission. There's a steer in the paragraph. He starts saying that you absolutely can't do this, and then he says it's not ethical. It's more than not ethical. It would be against the din and probably uh, against the law. It's all about disclosure. The issue over here. And this is a uh, this is an issue with uh, brokers. I had a show like this two weeks ago, and uh, it was exactly this case where this is what they were showing them. It was for today's crazy market. The uh, price wasn't good, but zemashiyesh. And they were telling them the mileage, and there's not a lot available, which is true. And they were trying to uh, convince them, which is what a broker could do and should do if uh, they believe in their product. And then there's another one which is slightly cheaper, slightly better, but they have an ongoing customer. A person who buys many houses, that's not common in residential real estate. You buy a house, they buy a house. They'll, they'll buy eight of them. And that could be an issue because they really have another house which might be a little better and you're not telling them that. Is that fair? In this specific situation, the one who's buying eight or nine houses told them ahead of time, whatever you have in any particular kufa, I can only afford to buy one every quarter, every three months, but hold it for me. And therefore, it's a unique example where I think it's mutter. I told them it's mutter. It's sort of on hold. There is another one they found out about, but they have to hold it. And repeat customers do get bulk pricing. And quantity customers get bulk pricing. That's the bulk. Uh, Higher paying customer, that's all true and has to be true in an industry. 
So what you're really saying is, for you, this is what I have available. Don't run away with that heter. That sounds like a big cooler. Depends on a lot of factors. That's why the key over here is got to ask a shayla somebody. I, I understand the industry, and if I have any questions, I ask them, and they know it, and I want to understand the exact detail of the transaction. Sometimes it's also that particular case. It was mutter. I'll give you a, a more obvious example in brokerage with securities. Um, this is when I was discussing it with Donnie. He brought this up, and I, I was aware that it was true, but he highlighted the example on the, on the negative side. When these IPOs come out, so if it's hot, they all pretend to be hot. Some of them are average, some of them are hot, some of them are duds. Which may, most of them are, are duds, which means they're supposed to come out at $10 and they start at $9.50? No, no. They start high, but they end up being duds. Okay. That's true. It's always going to recede a little bit, but did the people who are on the inside, not inside of trading... Uh, get their money out quick enough. Did it go? Did it open at uh, 14, go up to 17, and then go back down to 12? Is that a dud? We're not. Uh, none of us are fiduciaries. Anybody's listening? This is not advice. And uh, check your perspectives. But there are some which are hotter than others. You know. Now they can't just give out shares for the hot ones because the IPO. You got to get the, their initial public offering. They got to get on the the big board, the other board. <laughs> they got to get on. They got to get going. So the way it works is that you have customers who everybody puts in a bid for more shares than they can get, but they prorate it often. That if he's willing to buy a million and we only have a hundred thousand for him, or hundred thousand and ten thousand. So we'll we'll figure it out, but. The, the big companies know who their well-heeled, high-net-worth individuals are and who their repeated customers are. So they're going to play favorites a little bit. So how are they going to get the duds or the not-so-hot things out? So often they go to the good customers and say, look, I'm going to help you out when it comes to the good ones, but you also got to take some of the lousy ones. And it's a question of you work with me, like, and that's fine. It'll come up, and it probably comes up almost every time. They're going to have some smaller clients relative to the larger ones, and they say, "Well, can I have any more of this one? Why'd you give me so many of the other ones?" The real answer is because he's holding them in his mind already. He already put them aside. I wrote them down for the other guy. Similar to this case, is that okay? It depends. Uh, is he a fiduciary? Is he not? Is it uh, suitability? Even if it's a fiduciary, if he tells him up front, look, this is the big leagues, this is the way IPOs work, I can't give you a grand slam every single time, and work with me, and over the next 10 years, hopefully I'll make a lot of money. And a sophisticated investor, if they're self-reverkable, then that's not lift neither. But again, it boils down to the disclosure. What are you telling him, or what does he know? And for the average guy in the street, they don't understand any of this, rightfully so. That's not their industry. But at this level, I don't think that's us or he says, well, why are you telling me to buy this thing? It's a dud. I give you a chance at the other ones. There has to be a balance over here. And I think that's okay. Problem? Everybody ready to invest tomorrow in the various uh, currencies and things like that. Uh, I want everybody to be uh, duly warned. But it's important to let the little people know, the people who could be big but not big in this industry, you have to make sure that they understand. And if you're a friend, like your example of the guy you promoted to a different industry, is that what you did? 
uh, who's giving advice about something that he shouldn't... So, apparently, your taina was that he didn't give enough of a warning to his friends, and the whole chavra, that this is extremely risky. That was your main taina? You don't remember the case. What? <laughs> no comment. What? It was doing work hours. It was doing... <laughs> That's a different problem. That's Tom Geneva. But, but you know, tiny is they're like people all the same, they don't know what they're doing, and they, you know, so that's, uh, that's an issue. And that, not taking it seriously enough, somebody else's finance possible loss is a direct violation of this, of this din. So with that small introduction, let's go to the Ramam now. Now I can give this out. The pages are out of order because... Can't blame them on the machine. They were put in out of order, and the machine started eating them up before I got them out. So I just, after 20 of them were stapled, I decided, you guys know how to count. We'll just work backwards. Not so bad, but just, uh, there's a page one buried in there somewhere, <laughs> pretty deeply. So take a look. The copy's here. If it's a multi copy thing for those listening, and well, it's the second to last page, the way it's stapled. It, uh, goes up to page uh, seven, but try to find it. The page one is the Ramam Hilchas Ratzeach Hashmir Sanefesh, and believe it or not, after all our introductions, I don't usually give all the examples before we start the Ramakamis. Here I did because I wanted to make sure you understood what was at stake. So. We'll begin this Rambam. This Rambam will take us uh, tonight, uh, well, next week. Uh, this Rambam is similar to the Masisa Sharm. He's going to lay out, it's even it's shorter, so we have to make the Yukim what the Isser is. He's going to start with something that's a little chilling and very, very current. We seem to be running into that a lot lately between this and the Navi Shia. Take a look at Yud Beis. This is the end of... The 12th parak and Hochas Ratzev, Shmir Sanefesh. You might wonder why is Hochas Lifneiver and Eitzarah in a Rambam in Hochas Ratzev, Shmir Sanefesh. So you'll find out soon enough. Yud Beis. Aser, Limker, Lagayim, Kol, Kli, Hamachama. Can't sell weapons to Gayim. I, I don't make this up. You think I time all these things, unfortunately. You can't. Why is that? Because. Not all the Akam are such Bali Musr and such people of high Madre gun caliber. And they might start unnecessary wars and attack people. That's hard to imagine. But you sell them that. We don't think of this in terms of, it's not a good idea. The Ramam is going to bring this in the context of Shmir Sanefesh Raguf. And if you do it and they use it, that's also Lifneiver. There was an industry It doesn't exist today because we don't use swords but after you use a sword and you go into battle and it gets kind of blunt that's not a good sign something not a good sign for all the people you killed but like knives they need sharpening so they used to go to sword sharpeners to make sure after the battle to make sure they're ready for the next one that was an industry so here you're not making the sword but the guy comes in with his whole battalion they want you to sharpen his sword so you can't even do that because that gives them an edge, no pun intended. And you can't sell knives. Now, that sounds like you can't sell knives. This is it's pretty horrific, but if you remember by the last or the one before in Tafada and Israel, 
where Achman Laslan, like that, it got so bad, the stores, the regular makolet, had to like, do away with their knives. You need big knives and things to cut watermelons and like. Achman Laslan, like that, that became, uh, became an issue. So he's not talking about regular kitchen butter knives, but they had to figure out why is the guy buying nine of them? This is an area with a lot of peasants that don't eat that much steak. You have to, and you have to make them as blunt as possible and, uh, and uh, be very careful. These are all forms of chains and uh, neck chains and uh, foot chains, all sorts of... Um, yeah, but worse than handcuffs. You look at the... Shouldn't go there because we talked about going to South America and visiting the Aztec Indian wounds, which is being mined into Avodazar, which probably still exists by some people. It's not a good place to be. But they, one of the more terrifying sites in South America, they actually have, you don't have to go to Spain for this, they have old dungeons of the Inquisition, which followed the Jews to the New World. And they still have it. It's a museum now. And they have all these things there. When they, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty horrific. Either they're really striking or the uh, glue is uh, coming loose. One of the two. Probably a little of both. Uh, that sounds like one of the best measures. That's fine. They had an Indian type of metal which was very good for processing weapons. And Chazal answered that. This is a big industry. It certainly is now and it was then. The Israeli government has a problem and they have laws specifically to address this and then they have a semi-gray market with rogue individuals who try to sell now you think how easy could it be to sell an F-16 under everybody's nose not that easy not a couple of um, people from a very far eastern empire who drove who flew F-16s out of the airport to the free world that's happened but not too common so we're talking about small arms sales. There are people, there are reports about this all the time. And it's a big business. And the Rambam is brought down, the Rambam Shachanah, it's a whole city in the Gemara. It's usher. And even though Jews like buying low and selling high, this is not one of the areas you should be involved in. The government, these are the government, because they have a lot of uh, arms that they buy and that they manufacture. They have rules on who's a friendly country, who's not, and who they could sell to. And uh, so does America, but there are a lot of um, shoulder held missiles and the like that are all over the place. And um, it's a problem. So governments recognize you got to have it in safe hands. Here the Rambam says it's a din. Besides the danger, it's also a shaylul if neither, which we'll get into in a moment. I thought this was obvious. Somebody comes up to uh, Reb uh, Barnum and Bailey. Well, P.T. Barnum? Wasn't it yet. So I'd like to put in order. I'll have 26 lions, please. I don't think he had 26 lines. Maybe he did. It was a traveling... Uh... What do you want him for? Oh, nothing. We just got some unscrupulous people we'd like to attack. So, I don't know. Lions were not native to the Middle East. That's why when they showed up, it was always an ace. But I guess in Africa, they were. And Dubin Varayas, I guess, were harnessed and trained uh, to get your enemies. But if you sell them to Goyim, if you're brokering, we're talking about brokers over here, oddly enough. So they got a full disclosure. We only sell you lions if you open up a circus. And then they smile politely and they say, yes, thank you very much for the full disclosure. And if they're smiling too much and you're selling too many, 
then it's Sasser. You're putting people in danger. It's just, I don't, the ancient world, I wonder, it must have been a. Nah, the gladiators were. Yeah. Is that living? Lions? Yeah, As in Daniel? Daniel was thrown into lions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had people had to fight them and they would destroy people. Right. Okay. I thought they meant in a more organized fashion. Okay. Dubim also? Bears? Okay. I don't. Elephants are not brought down. Elephants were the tanks of the Roman Empire. I wonder why they. That's Mamasha tank. You're selling it for war purposes. The Ram didn't even mention that. But okay, he said, look at the next line. So you're saying the gladiators were Nezik Larabim. Why? They were caged in a stadium. And, I mean, the Rabim were all the thousands of people that threw in to beat by the lions. Okay, I don't, I don't think it's hard to think in those terms, but what? The gladiators were usually the Romans, but the prisoners. The prisoners were thrown in. Right, so it's interesting. That's Nezik Larabim? I would think these prisoners, they treated them like animals anyways. Either they're going to kill them, they're going to torture them, they're going to torture them this way with people watching. So I consider Nezik Larab, it's horrible. Is that... I'm talking about Nezik Larab, I'm talking about gladiators. Pet. What? It's a little strange. A guy wants to order one. Okay. Okay. I mean, people like the people who own snakes. Like, yeah, there are people like that. Okay. People who run countries... Yeah, they uh, really okay. In <laughs> other places, we won't talk about. Okay, since you're referring to them a lot. Uh, okay, I just had to be there, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's why it's Ned's the Robin, though, because all of a sudden you're like pulling your car, you're the neighbor out of the driveway, and all of a sudden Leo was there, and you <laughs> can't get your car out. He starts ripping the. Okay, so that's Ned's the Robin. That that I would hear more than the gladiators. The gladiators, the prisoners weren't going to survive anyway. So I'm trying to figure out where the where the Nezik was. Okay, it's, uh, I'm glad we don't live then. Now, the coolers. You could sell shields because that's just defensive in nature. So, got the picture? You could sell arms for defense, not for offense, and no doubt you could sell to that same empire there because they only send armies for peacekeeping. <laughs> So you could sell to them because that's a better defense. Mom is peacekeeping. Can you say sell offensive weapons for defense? It's mm, hard to tell the difference between the two. <laughs> Especially in modern warfare. That's what's scary. Especially when they say we just want to buy a lot of it. Why need so many planes and tanks and guard missiles? We'd like to keep the peace a lot. So, okay, if you're dealing with a liar and a jeep, then nothing's going to work. But the Ram is going to give an example when the guy is supposed to be watching your city. That city watchman would with shields and swords and they were in charge of the moat and they were those guys are protecting you so the Ram's going to say the next halacha well that's obviously mutter you can supply that and sharpen their offensive swords and spears but so why not the country you're in that's protecting you yeah and that's the meaning by the way the Israelis have a whole defense industry making armaments for Israelis <laughs> problem is they have a surplus and it's a big business and they try to sell only to countries the Mashiach are not going to use it against them or other innocent people, which is not an exact science, but they're trying their best, I would hope. So that's the Shaila. So Hagain means anything you need to protect. That can mean the full arsenal of the same offensive things because you have to meet their offensive capabilities with your own. So if they have the same fighters and fighter pilots and F-16, you got to have your own. Okay, but 
the key is what's the law against? The Ram just says trisim. You're asking why does the Rambam say that? Why is he talking about shields? Talk about spears, but you're trying to protect yourself to kill the other guy. Okay, trisim is the classic example. You're only standing there holding a shield to protect yourself. But a chalami, if you need the other, and then they're the aggressor, then in a chalami. Chazal took this very seriously because it's a danger to society and we're talking about brokers here just trying to make money he says just like you can't sell directly to the guy who is not under Das Tyre and not asking Shaz about where you can use it now I mentioned there might be a head to Lifne Lifne that's by Goyim to Goyim not by Yidin who will now you're ever living either on this yid because he's going to have, not the Yitzhahara, the reality is he's going to turn around and sell it to a guy because for weapons, that's their best customer. And you're ever living either by selling to the yid who will turn it around and sell it to a guy. That's a fat, not, besides the foolishness of the danger of it. Mutalimka has ayin l'chayel shabana medina. He says, Avi, what you just asked, you're allowed to sell it to your own National Guard and army. They're protecting you as well. And therefore, that's necessary. And, and you're going to supply it, you're going to sharpen them, and that's all mutter. Yudalim. Everything we just said about selling to the Akam or selling to the Yidus of brokers is going to sell to the Akam. That's Lefnever on him. You're not allowed to sell to a Yid who's a Listim, which means a gangster. It doesn't make a difference if his first name is Bugsy. Uh, happens to be Jewish because he was a Levi, I guess. Uh, he was a Levi, no? You're a Levi from your tribe. I, I don't want to uh, impinge any uh, responsibility. I know, I know a lot about Bugsy Siegel. I don't know if he was a Levi. I mean, he just took the name at Ellis Island. Or was an alias. His real name was Schwartz. His name was Siegel. Huh? Okay, so that's unless you stand behind the Siegel at Ellis Island, that means Scam Lacayne, right? Last time I checked. So uh, you'll tell me how Kamenetsky... You are a lady, aren't you? Okay. You're not allowed to be marshal. He's a listim. That's not a mutter type of activity, and that's not a proper panosa. And if you constantly supply him with ammunition, that's considered classic with Niver. We didn't get to advice yet. Right now we're talking about marshal in Ba'avera. So the Ramam here spells out both definitions of the Pasha Pshat. First one was Averis, happens to be violence, but Sicha. The next one is you can't even give an Eitzah Shena Agenis. If you did this, notice how the Ramam, when he gives the two definitions, he mentions the Eitzah Ra first, because that is, they're both Pasha Pshat. We pass like both of them, as you have seen, but that's even more Pasha Pshat. That's the Ramam we quoted at the beginning of the Sugya and throughout. The Ramam is trying to answer, which he doesn't do in the Adachazaka very often. He's not an Ever, he's amazed. Why is that Lifna Ever? Eitzah Ra, he doesn't know. That's why he's asking an Eitzah. The answer is his Yetzahara is blinding him and he's having trouble controlling himself and you shouldn't be aiding and abetting. Now the Ramam adds, that's the Lysa say. That's a chiv. The Ramam now says the Asay on the half of the Pshat and the Posik, 
of the Eitzah the flip side is the positive thing, it's the highest form of chesed, and uh, if you help a guy get on his own feet, meaning if, you, if he needs food, you give him food, that's the immediate form of chesed, but if he's the Eitzah, say Panasa, whatever it is, you're helping him becoming somewhat more independent, and that's wonderful. The Ramaz Mashma that the Chi of the Raisa to give an Eitzah Nechayna is triggered when he asks you. Make note of that, because we're going to see other Rishayinim who seem to say there's an Indian to, if you notice it, look for the opportunity to go over to him. Here the Ram says, if he comes to ask you, then you're Mechuyiv to give it. Tezvav, We're going to read this quickly now and get to it on Monday. This is, uh, needs a lot of Hezber. As much as there is a Chiyiv, Daraisa to give an Eitzah Teva and the best Eitzah you can give and it's a Daraisa of giving an Eitzah that's not the best Eitzah for him the flip side is you're not allowed to give an Eitzah Teva to a guy or to an Eved Rasha why the Ramam says Eved we'll explain later but any guy even an Eved who's half a Yid the Tzil Hashem Avdus really any Rasha you can't give an Eitzah Teva if the Eitzah Teva is to a Yid is a Rasha but help him do Tshuva then obviously then it's a then you should. Otherwise, it's an Issa to give an Eitzah Teva. So what is this under at first glance? Well, you say maybe it You're not giving him something tangible. You're giving him an Eitzah, which might make him a lot of money. You'll help him in other areas, whatever he's asking an Eitzah about. You're not allowed. It's not parv. I'd say you're potter for giving an Eitzah. You're not allowed to give him an Eitzah. This comes up in a lot of industries. And just to throw out, which we'll have to get to, if you're an attorney, you're a defense attorney, and the guy... Is uh, well, it's not a murderer, or, uh, a grand uh, thief, a uh, gangster, and you're defending him. So you say, that's your job. Well, can you not take the case? Yes, you can. You don't have to take the case. If you're a public defender, maybe you do. But let's say you tell the people in charge of you and your law firm, I can't take the case. I think the guy's guilty. I think he's a Russia. It's horrific. I'm not going to do a good job. Okay, then they won't want you to take it. But are you allowed to take it? You're, you're going to spend your whole week now, month, year, giving him eights and how to stay out of jail and how to get away from this conviction, this pending conviction. It, it's all about eights and the theatrics of being a good trial lawyer. So Ramam said, that's us, sir. So can you do it for money? Well, can you do it for money? Can you sell arms for money? No. Money's not a heter. It's Mamas Livnevi. You're giving Eitzes to a Russia. So how that's going to work, um, think about. That's gonna, not going to be so push it. And the Ramam is going to read one more line, leave you on the cliff, which uh, hopefully won't be Livnevi. Afila, see you, Eitzah, she asked, Dvar Mitzvah. No, he's a Russia. Can you give me Eitzah to do a Dvar Mitzvah? Why not? What's the downside? If he's a Russia, why not do a Mitzvah? Rosharim are not putter for Mitzvahs. And the Ramah says, not true. You can't even do that. If he still wants me to you can't even do that. <coughs> why not? Apparently, we don't want to give him any schusim. The question is, why, where, how do you apply this? And the next example of the Ramam is uh, fascinating from the Gemara, but we have to learn up what the Pshad is. We'll save that, Amit Hashem, for next week.